Well, good morning, Cityville Church. Great to see all of you here this morning. My name is John Nemers. I am the Evangelism Director here at church. And if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And as you do that, I just want to tell you that my prayer for our hearts, both yours and mine, yours while you're listening and mine as I'm preaching, my prayer is that today we would just worship under the word. I just want us to see Jesus in this text. It's a simple goal, but that's it. I just want us to see Jesus, okay? So if you have your Bibles open to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're just going to read the first couple of verses at the beginning. Verse 1, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. Have you ever been deceived into believing or doing something crazy? Any of you? I know I have. If uh, you knew me when I was a kid, you knew that I was not the sharpest tool in the shed. I was not a very smart kid. In fact, I did not get an A in a spelling test, which you took one a week, by the way. I didn't get an A in a spelling test until I was in second grade, and my teacher literally gave me a high five when I got an A, like a consolation prize or something, looking back on it now. But either way, I was not a very smart kid, and as every true and good siblings will do, they took full advantage of my stupidity. Um, and I could tell many stories uh, of how they deceived me over the years, but I don't have time for that. I'll just tell you one, just one story. I was eight years old, and uh, I was sitting at my kitchen counter, and I was looking at a Gatorade bottle. And I was looking, and I was very perplexed because I thought the old school Gatorade bottles, that lightning bolt is bright orange, and I just thought that looked like a carrot to me. You got the green lettering on it. It just looked like a carrot to me. And so I was just so perplexed by this, and I'm voicing this, and my sister's across the, the counter from me, and I look up, and she, she has this very concerned look on her face, and she's looking at me, and she goes, well, John you know that if you drink too much Gatorade, carrots will start to grow in your ears. And then she runs around to the other side, and she starts. She grabs my head, and she, she looks into my ears, and she oh, yeah, sure enough, there's carrots growing in there. And she said it with such sincerity in her voice and such seriousness in her eyes that she deceived me. I believed her, and my eighth grade or my eight-year-old brain started to freak out a little bit, right? I got carrots growing in my ears. I wasn't thinking very clearly, and I was believing something, obviously, quite crazy. But we've all been there. Maybe you don't believe that carrots are growing out of yours. But when you are deceived, you don't think clearly, do you? And this is exactly what's going on in our text. The Thessalonians were being deceived, or they have been deceived, uh, and it was causing them to think and to act irrationally crazy even. And their deception, this church's deception, they were deceived into believing that the second coming of Jesus had already come, and they had missed it, and they were living in the horrific final judgment of God. And actually, they were looking at their suffering, their suffering that they were going through that we talked about last week in chapter 1, if you remember. They're suffering. They're looking at that and saying, here's the evidence. This is the evidence. This is God's final judgment, and it's only going to get worse from here. 
Someone told them that. They were deceived in this way. And obviously, they were freaking out on the inside, as you might imagine, if their suffering is going to get worse. And here, in our text, Paul warns them. And he's very pastoral in the way he does it. He warns them that they are in danger of being deceived. And because we know, or I hope you know, that the Bible is inspired, but it's not just inspired, it's also sufficient for your daily life, which means when Paul wrote this, he was not just writing to the Thessalonian church 2,000 years ago, he was writing to you here this morning. Because some of you here this morning have fallen into the danger of deception. And it is dangerous. In fact, being deceived can be the most dangerous thing to happen to someone. It's even more dangerous than suffering, because at least when you're suffering, you know it's happening, right? But when you're deceived by the very definition of the word, you have no idea what kind of lies you're being drugged into. You follow that? Deception is like a trap hole in the ground that you can fall into. It's dangerous, and when you fall into it, it can obviously hurt you, break a leg, break an arm. It'll disorient you. It can cloud your understanding of everything around you because you just can't see out of it. In a worst-case scenario, if you stay in there too long, it'll kill you. So for the remainder of our time, I want to go back to the text. I want to get our eyes on the text and take a deeper look at the kind of traps this church was falling into. And because we're going to take communion at the end, I want to challenge you, especially the Christians in here, to examine yourselves and ask yourselves, have I fallen into these deceitful traps? Examine so if you got a Bible, if you can, look at it, because who cares what I have to say, right? Let's see what God has to say. This is where your life is going to change. Look at verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. Now what Paul is referring to, is refer he's referring back to his first letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And if we remember, if you remember, uh, we preached a message on that about a month ago, and it's Paul encouraging the Thessalonians that Jesus would come back for them, uh, both the dead and the, and the alive, because that was their concern. They're a little nervous that, that because some people had died that they wouldn't be raptured up. And Paul says, no, 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 there is a coming rapture where both the dead and alive will be brought back up into the clouds with God and you, with Jesus, and you must encourage each other with these words. Right? And so that's what he's referring to right there. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers. Now, I want you to catch Paul's heart here. He says, I ask you, brothers. He's not slapping them upside the head. He could have. He said, crying out loud, I just wrote a letter to you. He could have, but he doesn't. He gives a Paul's pastoral plea, in a sense. This word, I ask you, brothers, really could be translated, I beg you. I beseech you, I ask you, I'm pleading with you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. And here we have our first two traps that the church had fallen into. So let's take a closer look at them and examine ourselves in the process. The first trap was that they were thinking dangerously. 
They were thinking dangerously. Paul says that they're being shaken in mind. This term in their, in their minds, this, word, this term shaken in mind carries the idea of being tossed and rocked from their understanding or their sound judgment. It's a lot like the term that we all know here is they went off the rails, right? We know what that word means. Is it's they went nuts. They're crazy. They're not making any sense anymore. Like a train has been shaken quite literally off of its rails, the Thessalonians had been shaken from their minds. They were thinking hysterically. They were no longer thinking sober. They, were, they weren't sober-minded any longer. The belief that their suffering was a result of God's wrath was their deceptive trap that they fell into. And when they're in it, just like any of us who fall into these traps, they couldn't think clearly. They couldn't see what was going on above them. In fact, you'll, you'll see in a couple of weeks when we go into chapter 3, some of them, because they're so shaken in mind, even quit their jobs. And Paul's like, what are you guys doing? So here's a question for you, say little church. Has anything in the past year, maybe year and a half, caused you to be shaken in your mind? Some of you have fallen into the trap of being shaken in your mind because of your circumstances. It doesn't matter whether it's over your political leanings, your social leanings, even your, your theological leanings. You've been so shaken in your mind that you were unable to see anything outside of the lens of COVID, of Calvinism, or of Trump, the government. It doesn't matter what it is. It's quite shocking when you look back at just what one year can do to people. We were on the right track, and we have been derailed, and our minds are elsewhere now, not where they're supposed to be. Do you care more about winning a debate or winning a soul? Do you care more about being politically correct or biblically correct? Would you rather pick up your comfort, more comfort, or would you rather pick up your cross? I'm afraid that for many of us, including myself in many ways, it's the former rather than the latter. And I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, like Paul, examine yourself to see if you have fallen into the trap of being shaken in your mind. That's the first trap. The second trap is that they were being dangerously fearful. Paul says, don't be shaken in mind or alarmed. And that word alarmed is exactly what it sounds like. It, they, they were frightened. They were fearful. It pictures someone in a state of jumpiness, right? You scare people and they jump up. Uh, we used to live in an old house in behind a, uh, a cornfield or cornfield or backyard. We had a horrible mouse problem, horrible. Uh, and I don't care for mice. I mean, whatever. I don't get super grossed out about them. But my wife has a phobia for mice. And it's, yeah, she just does not like them. So being the good husband that I am, I, uh, I decided to take my phone and look up uh, mouse, mice squeaking on YouTube, and I played that, and I put it under her pillow just to see what would happen. <laughs> Not a good marital choice, but, <laughs> but 
She was definitely jumpy. And Paul is saying that these Thessalonians were not only hysterical in their thinking, they were living in a state of fear and anxiety. Now, I have good reason to believe that this trap in particular is the most common for attenders here at Sayville Church. You want to know how I know? Because far and away, the most watched videos we put out as a church are over worry, fear, anxiety, and depression. Can't argue with the numbers. And I'm right there with you. I just mentioned my wife, Kaylee, and there isn't a month that goes by that we don't fall into this trap with fearful thoughts like, are we, are we really even good parents? Like, can we just get these kids to just obey just one time, please, for the love of God, just obey? <laughs> how are we going to pay for this car? I can't tell you how many times I've thought that. What are we going to do about the kids' schooling? Can we afford to have another kid? I mean, we're 26 years old with four kids for crying out loud. Can we afford this? What does the future hold for us? All of these deceptive, fearful, anxiety-ridden thoughts going through our minds. The fear of deception, the deception of fear, rather, is such an easy trap to fall into, isn't it? I'm not saying there isn't healthy fear. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it would be, you should be fearful to get on the back of a motorcycle with me because I've never driven a motorcycle, and that would be very scary for you to do. You should have fear over that. But listen, the fear or fear becomes deceitful and dangerous when we start to believe that the world is not in the sovereign control of Almighty God. It is a lie from our flesh and the evil one to believe, maybe not out loud with our mouths, maybe we wouldn't say this, but we believe it in our heart, that God is not on the throne. Say to the church, examine yourself. Have you fallen into the dangerous trap of fear? Third trap was that they were believing dangerous prophecies and teachings. Pick it up in the middle of verse 2. Paul says, again, don't be shaken in your minds. Don't be alarmed either by a spirit or spoken word. And the word spirit there refers to a spiritual revelation, some sort of prophecy. And the spoken word refers to a sermon. Right? Just like what I'm doing up here. And so the deception, the way this deception may have crept into the church was that someone came in claiming to have some sort of prophetic word or, or some sort of uh, new teaching from God. But in reality, these were false teachers coming in. And these false teachers and false prophets, Jesus himself described as wolves in sheep's clothing. You ever heard that? And they were looking to deceive the church. And Paul actually says the same thing to the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Romans 16, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers. Now, there's that same language. That's interesting. I appeal to you. I beg you, brothers. I beseech you to watch out for those who cause division 
and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them by smooth talk and flattery. They, here it is, deceive the hearts of the naive. Colossians 2.8, Paul also says, see to it that no one take you captive by philosophy. And here it is, empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. These verses are saying that false teachers and false prophets are like wolves that will rip you to shreds spiritually. Do you see them like that? They add to the simple gospel. They often add to the simple gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They try and captivate you with new ideas and new philosophies that are accepted and loved by the world, but not by the word. They find out, they find out, they want to know, what are the world's ears itching to hear? And then as Paul says, with smooth talk, they try and tell you their good news, their gospel, which is God wants to give you everything you want. The only problem with that is we don't want God. We want sin. We don't want God. They're deceptive. And some of these wolves are just obvious, right? You got the Kenneth Copelands. You got the Benny Hins out there who are just robbing the naive for their money. Or these so-called prophets out there that, hey, they, they prophesied Trump's victory, right? They're backtracking. Or even these, these prosperity healers who, just, who even say, I declare and decree victory over this certain situation. As if we can speak things into existence like God. We're not God. We can't do that. That's deception. That's wicked. Unfortunately, though, some of them aren't as obvious as the others. Tim Challies describes false teaching like candy. He says it's wrapped up beautifully. It looks delicious. It even tastes delicious. But in the center is a poison that, when ingested, will kill you. If you are someone who is buying into these wolves, you are being drugged down into their deception. And just like that poisonous candy, the longer you ingest it, the more it's killing you. Who are you listening to? We're a generation that likes to listen. Who are you listening to? Examine yourself. The fourth and final trap that they fell into was they were believing dangerous literature. Paul says, don't be shaken or alarmed by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, most scholars believe that this letter was someone who wrote a letter by themselves to the Thessalonians and then signed it with Paul's name. And actually, historically speaking, that's pretty common. Uh, you've probably heard of the Gospel of Thomas, uh, the Gospel of Judas, um, people that want to either make money or change the narrative of their, for their own selfish uh, purposes. They'll forge, they'll forge letters, right? And so when I first was thinking about this, I was kind of like, well, gee whiz, Paul, take it easy on them, right? I mean, they got tricked. Can you blame them? Like, they wrote your name. It even looks like your autograph. I don't know. Maybe there it is. 
But the more I thought about it, this is what I think now. I think I have biblical reason to think it too. That if the Thessalonians would have taken the time to truly understand Paul's letter and to hold on to the teaching. This is what he says in verse 15 of the same chapter. He says, hold on to the teaching. I've written to you. Hold on to it. Understand it. Know it. If they would have done that, then they would have never been deceived. Honestly, these Thessalonian churches remind me of Christians today that only have a surface understanding of Scripture. Some of you in this room are so okay with barely knowing God's Word. Do we know what the Bible is? It's God's words to humans. He's given us the capability of knowing what He wants us to know and hearing His thoughts right in this book. And yet we're just so okay with barely knowing it. And because we don't know God through his word, it leaves us completely susceptible to believing any kind of teaching about God that we read. We're just open. We don't know any better. And do you know where most Christians' reading takes place? Social media. Probably the worst place for someone to shape their view of God. Examine yourself. As I hope you see, there are so many traps, so many holes that we can fall into, and they are going to hurt you, they are going to blind you, or at worst, if you don't know Christ, they are going to kill you eternally. But as I said at the beginning, my desire and my prayer for this message is not simply for you to be aware of the problem. That's a good thing. You need to be aware, but that's not my my goal here. I want to give you hope. I want to give you hope, okay? And so here it is. Here's the point. Here's the thrust of all this. Our solution is not to simply avoid being shaken by deception, but rather we must look to the unshakable one. Did you catch that? Instead of avoiding, just avoiding being shaken by deception, we must look to the unshakable one. Our hope in in getting away and avoiding deception is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ, that title, is used 24 times in 1st, 2nd Thessalonians and 2nd Thessalonians, and it's only eight chapters, and that's the most it's used in the entire Bible. You know what that means? That means that this book, while it does deal with a lot of subject matter, a lot of important subject matter, at the book's core, it's not about the destruction of sinners. It's not about deception. It's not about the man of lawlessness. It's not about Christians being idle in their work. This book is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to keep yourself from falling into the deadly, dangerous, painful traps of deception, then you must look to Christ. Do you see that? If you are shaken in your minds like the Thessalonians were, look to Christ, meditate on him, love him, fall in love with him every single day in his word. 
Paul says in Philippians 4.8, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's describing Jesus. He's worthy of praise. Think about him. What are you thinking about? We need to be thinking about Christ. He will take your shaken and derailed mind and transform it and place it right back on the tracks where it belongs. If this past year has completely derailed your mind and got you bent out of shape about all sorts of things that don't matter in the light of eternity, then go to the Good Shepherd. He is the one who takes his staff, puts it on your side, and brings you right back into the fold. If you are struggling with fear and anxiety, and you have no peace in your life, and I know that there are so many of you here who fall into this category, then look to the Prince of Peace. It's only our Lord Jesus Christ, who can not only understand our weakness, but he is the one who never fell victim to its deceits. Do you know that? In Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That is amazing. We have a Savior who knows how we feel. If you're a child of God, put your hope in the one who knows how you feel. He's not like these other gods who just stay distant from, from you and suffering and said, come to me, come to me. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to embody your suffering. I'm going to take on your suffering. I'm going to know exactly how you feel. Just the other day, Kaylee and I were anxious about something, and I don't even remember what it was, but as we were talking about it and just worrying about it, it just like hit us both like a ton of bricks that God has delivered us time and time again. And I just was thinking about this as we were talking about it and going, why? Why do we ever doubt his goodness to us? I feel like the Israelites that get delivered from Egypt one day, and then all of a sudden they're complaining about water the next. Even if the circumstances don't change, God is faithful. Jesus said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, there's your circumstances, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you want to keep yourself from deceptive words, false words, and these wolves that are just trying to rip you to shreds spiritually, then you must look to the true word, the eternal word in whom everything was created. Because we know that the best way to detect a fake is to know the truth, right? That's what we need to do. We need to focus on Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only prophet who never sinned. And all of his prophecies, they're coming true. Which means when he says he's coming back for you, you better believe it. It's going to happen. 
Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the perfect teacher who never lied like all these other false teachers. The teacher who didn't just tell us how to live, he showed us how to live in his everyday life, giving us something to imitate. And finally, the Lord Jesus Christ is the climax of the book of books handed down to us from God himself. The world's books, the world's philosophies, they're here today and they are gone tomorrow. Someone's going to write another book. There's no end in book writing. But Jesus says about himself, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will what? Never pass away. All of these deceptions that we talked about here this morning can essentially be dealt with, at least by Christians, by answering one question. Is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ through your devotion to the word and to prayer worth your time and effort? That's a question you personally have to answer for yourself. The answer is yes, but do you see it that way? Will you give him your time and effort? I don't think we can beat this drum enough here, and so I'm going to keep on going at it here. Sayville Church, I beg you, I plead with you, like, like Paul, I plead with you, discover your creator through prayer and his word every single day. It'll keep you from deception. And here's my challenge to you. Don't walk away from the word until you have one thing you can take with you and meditate on throughout the day. My cell group, we call it our cough drops. What is the one thing you can take from the word of God that you can put in your mind and let the meditation of the word work on you like medicine throughout the day? Know Jesus and avoid deception. Now, as we go to the Lord's table, let me say this to those of you who don't know Jesus here tonight, meaning you've just never had it a relationship with him, maybe you've never understood him, but you, all of us at one time, but you right now have been shaken in your mind from birth, from conception. And you don't have a clear understanding of God. If you're listening, if you're here today, would you consider that this Jesus that we've been talking about, this Jesus is the answer to your deepest desires in life. He's the one who will give you true purpose. He is the one who will save you from an eternity apart from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your plan. This plan that you knew before time began that these humans are so sinful that they cannot come into contact with a perfect creator. We need a substitute. Lord, and that is Jesus. We need Jesus. Lord, you've made that known to us, but even now we're here on earth and we have a tendency to screw up and fall into all sorts of deceptions. Lord, help us to look to our Savior as the one who will help us avoid these deadly and dangerous deceptions. We love you. In your son's name, amen.